Hello and welcome to Father Figures, a show about fatherhood, uncommon fathers, fathers of all stripes. Here we explore the risks and rewards, the joys and the griefs of being a dad. I'm your host, Stephen Amaya, and on today's episode we're going to talk about men and boys and the difficulty, some of which are new, that men and boys face these days, with focus on a fairly recent book which came out last year entitled Of Boys and Men by Richard Reeves, a senior fellow in economic studies at the Brookings Institution. The book got some notoriety, and I think it's worth looking into on a show called Father Figures. Uh, the gist of the book is that boys and men are losing ground in society, insofar as income, education, and mental health are concerned. About half a million years ago, human brains had a growth spurt. The need for food increased, and it took about 13 million calories to rear a child to nutritional independence where they could acquire their own food and be part of the tribe. This required cooperation between mothers and fathers. And fathers, according to Anna Manchin, an anthropologist and author of The Life of Dad, fathers are wired to make specific contributions, protection and teaching, a function of their physicality and their consequent need to continue the tribe in its need for food, shelter, trade, uh, and it's an observation difficult to disagree with. With me today is Andrew Morgan. Uh, he's a teacher-slash-primary caregiver of a four-year-old here in Astoria. Welcome back to the show, Andrew. Well, Thanks. Feels good to be back. Uh, first of all, how are things on on the home front for you? Are you... You're now teaching as well as caring for your daughter. Yeah, things are good. Um, I Since the last time we talked, I feel like I'm much busier and just have a full schedule again. And um, I do feel like, you know, I still have a lot of time at home with Simone, which has been great. Um, but I'm, I'm working now um, three days a week at the elementary school that she goes to. Um, and it's a, it's like a pre-K through fifth grade school, very, very small school. Um, there's less than 20 students. And so I'm there three days a week with her and she's there one extra day a week without me. So on Mondays and Thursdays, um, I have time to work on different writing projects that I've been um, taking on. And these are, these are professional uh, pieces. Yeah. So, um, I've been trying to do some, some freelance writing projects. Um, I'm helping edit a a book right now, um, about the Flavels. Um, Mm. and I'm also, um, doing some kind of UX writing for, um, a company in Portland who's trying to uh, revise a lot of the written content on their website. Um, okay, what is so UX writing? User experience. Oh, writing. I see. So I'm 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 trying to kind of um, just take on different writing projects that kind of come my way, and that I'm seeking out a little bit. Um, but just you know, it's it's flexible as to when I I work on those and stuff. Mm-hmm. So so it feels like um, yeah, it just it feels busier than when I initially jumped into yes, jumped into yes. this. And now now it really doesn't feel like I'm stay at home dadding right. as much. Uh, right. Um, now so, you, so you had to have a mind shift then kind of because when you when you quit the high school mm. it, you had a, a vision of full time Yeah, I guess I didn't I didn't know how long that would last. Like I kind of thought, okay, right now, you know, this 
this is something that would be super beneficial, you know, for our family and um, and and really the the working at this elementary school it really came out of the blue, um, and I, I started uh, actually coming up on a year now, a year ago, um, and yeah, they just they needed extra help. You know, a staff member had left, and, and she reached out, and and I'd never really worked with mm-hmm. kids, you know, in this age group before, so mm-hmm. it. Um, yeah, it's just been fascinating because there's a lot of similarities. There's so many differences, you know, so well, it's comparing teenagers to, yeah. you know, four-year-olds, five-year-olds. Um, well, that brings really me, interesting. that brings me to, to one of the subjects in the book, which is, uh, having men teach hmm. younger children so that younger children have uh, an idea of, of the male experience, you know, mm. Um, yeah, and just to have kids seeing men in roles that, um, you know, maybe they're not used to seeing men, and, yes. and, and having boys especially um, realize, okay, the the you know the landscape of work that's out there waiting for me, it's wider than it's maybe changing. I yeah. you know was told or thought or had seen before. Mm-hmm. So um, so yeah, that that part of the book was really interesting. Yeah, we'll to, get we'll get about. we'll get into that. Yeah. And so the subtitle of the book is Why the Modern Male is Struggling, Why It Matters and What to Do About It. So did you enjoy the book generally? I loved the book. Um I thought it was so fascinating and um yeah, I I I just the the premise of the book kind of caught my eye. I had read about the book before um we had talked about it and you'd loaned me the book. And uh, and I remember kind of reading this review about it where um, the reviewer had said, you know, the position that this author takes is is a pretty unconventional one or it's one that, you know, is kind of less common uh, uh, that you'd see a sociologist take or, or, or um, a researcher take in that, you know, he's trying to make the argument that men need a lot more support, right? Yeah. And, um, and I think in a lot of ways... Um, you know, there are, there are things that we can look to where we can say, okay, um, uh, women need a lot more support, right? Like, Mm -hmm. you know, when you, when you look at, um, uh, uh, pay gaps and things like that, or, um, Mm -hmm. you know, just in relation to the pandemic, you know, how hard that hit women in particular and and their ability to stay in the workforce, you know, a lot of women left, uh, their job so that they could, uh, you know, help out more at home. Yes, and, care for the children and, yeah. And so the thesis of this book, you know, when I saw this review, it it, it immediately kind of caught my eye. And, and I think, um, I assume a lot of readers also had a similar response, right? Like, what? Men men are needing all this help? What? what, what? Yes. One of the great features of the book is it is filled with statistics that, mm. that show uh, that there is a decline among males in in all kinds of areas. Mm-hmm. One of the conundrums for me in the book, and and something I think the author didn't um, really clarify, was the nature of masculinity. What is masculinity? Mm. You know, um, if you were to define masculinity, it it might be difficult. Mm. Um, uh, And so often uh, um, masculinity is associated with the word toxic. Hmm. And they, you know, that's only a recent combination of words. Hmm. Um, uh, there is toxic masculinity, but um, uh, what other kind is there? 
Hmm. You know, what is masculinity and what is femininity? Hmm. Um, is it is it a case of uh, like pornography? You know, I I I know it when I see it. Hmm. You know, or or is it something that you can actually delineate? Hmm. Um, that's something the author I, I think uh, didn't do hmm. uh, well enough. And it's you know kind of time period specific too, right? It is. Or or I mean, it's interesting you bring that up because I I felt like you know as I was reading, um, I kept kind of thinking about all these stats and everything he's bringing up in terms of. Um, how all of this helps explain how the the traditionally kind of masculine um, position that a lot of men are um, encouraged to take or encouraged to assume, how a lot of these stats um, suggest that that needs to shift, that needs to change, that, um, you know, if <clears throat> when I think back to my own childhood and, and, you know, I'm 41, growing up in the 80s and 90s, um, if I, if I try to kind of pinpoint, uh, what, where did I receive guidance on, on what it means to be a man and mm -hmm. how did I learn mm -hmm. what it looks like to be a man? Mm -hmm. Obviously, you know, how you see pe people in your family live and interact with one another and, and, um, treat other people. That's, that's probably like the, the most influential mm -hmm. starting point for most people, right? Especially children. Mm -hmm. Um, but then when I kind of like look outward and think about my adolescence and think about my 20s um, and in particular think about kind of um, the shows, the musicians, just the pop culture that existed at the time in the late 90s, um, if, if you were looking at that and saying what type of maleness is coming across in all of that material, um, it, it, it was just this hyper-masculinity, right? It was this... Um, uh, some of just kind of the stereotypical things that you um, associate with um, kind of alpha males, right? Mm -hmm. Like um, uh, super muscular, you know, I'm, I think back to like, um, I, I was totally like that MTV generation, like late, and especially in like the late 90s, some of the shows and things that were on MTV and um, uh, it just, it just promoted this, this idea of, uh, maleness that mm -hmm. that now when i look back on it, it seems so jarring you know it seems like how could i ever watch you know sit at home and watch spring breakers mm -hmm. uh you know just uh, shirtless and everybody's at these pool parties and mm -hmm. it's like shows like that yeah if and i'm if i'm 13 14 what does yeah. that say to me about this is what it means to be a man um and i just i i i kept thinking as i read this book if if you go through life and think that to be a man it means um, uh, that you you only engage in certain types of work and and other types of work that re require lots of empathy or lots of um, you know just sensitivity uh, about how other people are feeling or thinking you know okay well th those types of work are are not male jobs if you mm -hmm. have that type of opinion um, he makes the argument that like the the world is is not as as black and white as that you know men right. cannot succeed if they if they go through life um with this really kind of traditional view of hyper masculinity or one of the things that the book brought out was um the importance of teaching stem 
uh, stuff to to girls in school, you know, science, technology, mm. uh, education, and was it mathematics? Mm. I forget. I'm an English major. <laughs> um, <laughs> Uh, and then he comes up with an acronym called HEAL, which is Health, Education, Administration, and Literacy, mm-hmm. which are fields that will open up and, and men sort of need to filter into mm-hmm. if they want to continue to have some economic viability. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, that part of the book really resonated with me because the, the, that argument that he makes there, uh, it's built on what to me just seemed like pretty objective, easy to digest facts about the economy in terms of, mm-hmm. you know, uh, uh, jobs that have traditionally been dominated by men in the past, like manufacturing positions. Some of these jobs um, are evaporating. And so yes. uh, if if men continue to hold out for those or to, um, you know, to kind of position their lives so that, okay, this is this is kind of, how I'm going to exclusively kind of focus my energies, then there's a risk that, you know, they're going to be left high and dry, right? By mm-hmm. that, that type of um, shifting in the economy. So, um, so yeah, so, t- and and then he focuses on these other industries that are showing promising growth in the, for the future. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but what does it take to kind of prepare men to, um, to work in these fields that require skill sets that maybe, you know the education system culture, like, culture. doesn't doesn't instill in them you right know? the culture will not instill i want to be a nurse into a man uh, yeah. rarely mm-hmm. you know and and um that's too bad yeah cuz i've known some great nurses yeah <laughs> i've needed some great nurses uh, um one of the other things one of the other remedies that um reeves talks about in the book is uh, red shirting boys. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, he he makes the argument that um, because boys uh, just mature and 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 kind of um, cognitively develop at a different uh, pace than girls, and that you know girls will mature earlier, um, that there's this this struggle that they face, the struggle that boys face in school because. Um, they're they're trying to play catch up, you know. They're sitting in classrooms with girls who, um, and he he mentions all these statistics in the book about how um, you know girls uh, often are able to excel in these different areas in education um, more noticeably more noticeably than boys are, or or, or faster, or mm-hmm. Particu- more per- significantly, particularly when it's important for GPA. Mm-hmm. And your higher education, mm-hmm. the the discrepancy between development, brain development, is 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 mm-hmm. pronounced. Yeah. So so his his potential kind of solution here is if you hold boys back basically a year, have them start school later, um, then that gap will close. And um, you know, he he just makes the argument that there's on so many different levels, not just. Uh, academically but socially too you know you'd have boys who are in high school kind of going through puberty and 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 entering that stage of their life at a much kind of closer in age to when girls are experiencing this and um so it was just a really interesting idea that i i hadn't heard a a ton about before um 
But when I thought back to my own experiences in the classroom and thought back to things like... Yeah, in the high school classroom. Yeah, yeah. In, in the high school classroom. And even now, you know, when I'm looking at the elementary school mm-hmm. uh, experience that I'm having now, um, I just feel like I see lots of... Uh, see and have seen lots of different scenarios where this could be a really kind of interesting thing uh, that might have benefits. Um, you know, I when he mentioned in the book that... Um, you know, uh, it's th- just language ability that, that girls have and writing ability and, and um, just some of these statistics about um, how there is this kind of difference in, in how uh, boys and girls excel at different subjects at different times, you know, in their development. Um, I, I thought back to, you know, I've had um, English classes and especially honors classes that have been really skewed uh, really heavily to having very few boys in the class and mm-hmm. many, 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 mm-hmm. many girls. Um, and I always wondered like, what, what, is, how is this happening? Like, you know, and mm-hmm. it happened year after year. Um, it happened across school districts. Like it wasn't just something I noticed here locally. So, um, and you know, I noticed it in other countries, you is know, this I, a, a I, brain I, structure thing. <laughs> I mean, I, I often wondered, like I, you know, I taught English in Japan for a while and I remember thinking like, gosh, it just feels like, um, it feels like the boys are struggling more with language acquisition than the girls are. Mm-hmm. And, you know, in the U S it's like, Oh my gosh, why, why do I have, um, these female students that are, um, just, uh, able to kind of critically think about, uh, novels and things at this kind of deeper level. And, and, it, and it felt like the boys were playing catch up. And of course, you know, I, I want to be clear, like I had amazing, um, uh, uh, male students who mm-hmm. were also mm-hmm. excellent at analyzing literature, but but when you looked at like um, numbers and and trends yeah, over averages. the years, like yeah. it just felt like what what is going on? Um, and he talks in the book about you know special ed classes and um, and how it seems like you know boys are struggling uh, more than girls in terms of um, you know the percentage of students that uh, there's a statistic in there about the percentage of male students who are on IEPs or receiving special ed support versus um, female students. And so, so it's, it, it's almost like when he suggested this red shirting idea, it feels like one of these things that um, there are aspects to it that seem to, to make sense and seem like, okay, like if some of this is tied to just, mm-hmm. um, they need more time, right? They're, they're being asked to do some of these things, um, uh, you know, a year or two too early. And if you just mm-hmm. came back a year or two later, like they'd, they'd be better suited. You and know, the, that makes sense. But it also feels like, could it possibly be this easy? I was I was suspicious of it, right? Mm. Like, oh, come on. How could this one change mm. you know, have such a consequential sort of impact? But I, I remember uh, attending um, a professional development workshop once about grading and assessment. And um, this presenter who... Uh, you know, he devoted his whole professional career to studying different ways to assess kids and, and mm. see how they're doing. Um, I remember him saying something that really struck me where he said, when, when you grade students, it is this, um, it's, it's this kind of emotional act. It's, it's not just something where you say you got this wrong. It's mm-hmm. a, um, whether you wanted to or not. It's a it, judgment. It, yeah. It's a judgment and baked into it, inherent in it is a critique and is a commentary on mm-hmm. on who they are, how they are, right? Mm-hmm. And and I just remember that kind of like hitting me like a ton of bricks, like, 
because he said, how many of you in this room, you know, when you grade, you simply see it through the lens of, is that right or wrong? And mm-hmm. let me tell them that it's wrong if it's wrong. Mm-hmm. Um, but he was trying to make the argument, well, how do you tell kids that things are wrong? And, and it are, you know, he, he just, he just really made a convincing case for when you grade, you alter how students view themselves. Mm-hmm. And, and so I was thinking about that as you're just saying, because let's say if you're a, a male student and you go through your educational career um, constantly feeling like you're playing catch up, how much of the feedback that you get from teachers uh, do you internalize by the time you graduate, right? Mm-hmm. And, and, and allow to change how you view yourself and your potential in life, and right? If you graduate. Yeah, if you graduate. So, so that, yeah, I just, I... I definitely think um, ideas like this that seem simple, uh, potentially consequential, but understudied. <laughs> yes. It's like okay, yeah. let's let's let's, let's learn more that. about this. <laughs> you know, let's see if this is is viable. Mm-hmm. Um, well, yeah. It, it, uh, uh, my gut tells me it could only make better men. Hmm. Um, I, I I'm trying to see the downside. Because the you know the the idea of education is to make men and women good men and women, mm-hmm. good citizens. Mm-hmm. You know, um, if we are forcing men to be at a disadvantage because of we don't care to take into consideration their development um, stages, mm. um, we're doing a disservice to our society. Mm. Uh, we should at least give it a try. And, and, and it's interesting this. This conversation has gone from from talk about the book to talk about teaching, and I like that because it's it's the um, you know it's essentially where uh, how we make men. Hmm. You know, another thing that makes men is parents, and parenting, I think, was one thing that was uh, deficient in the book. Hmm. Um, Parenting, I think, has a much greater influence on, say, red-shirting boys. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I thought he, I thought he did mention something about, you know, in, in talking about how all this kind of ties to to class and to wealth. That, like, if you have parents who are from more affluent communities, um, they are more likely to um, to advocate for holding their boys back. Right. Yeah. And, and they'll, um, and so I thought that was really interesting. Like if, if this is something that, um, that is making sense kind of on the individual level for families, right. Where mm. families recognize like, okay, um, they need more time, you know, to kind of, whether it's get the academic skills down or mature emotionally mm. and socially, um, that why wouldn't this apply across mm-hmm. demographics and mm-hmm. help all people and and you know what is the difference about um an affluent family advocating for this and um, a family who's less affluent feeling like it's not an option i i can't help but wonder if if you know kind of buried into uh, buried in this issue of um of men despairing and men feeling like okay you're you you reach adulthood and the life that you um, have created for yourself and and now uh, have before you 
is not what you thought it would be. Like there's this disconnect, right? Or, or yeah. it's much harder and much more, um, much more of a struggle than you imagined. Um, I, I wonder, you know, if kind of woven into this is this idea of boys growing up with this image of themselves that was kind of what I mentioned earlier in the interview, this sort of like, um, the provider, the caretaker, the, mm. um, you know, just this, this sort of alpha. And then when you become an adult and that's not how things are <laughs> and, you know, and, and it's not that way for all men. And, mm -hmm. and if that is, is so jarring for people and, and so troubling and disturbing, um, for their sense of self that, um, that if it contributes to this, you know, if it, if it, mm -hmm. they, they don't, um, live the life that they either feel entitled to feel that they were waiting for and hoping for and you know moving toward there's just like a, a disconnect there yeah and that this and that if you have this caretaker sort of um, instinct or, or this feeling like okay this is something that i yeah i should be doing or want to be doing and then you can't do it then you can't do it then what does it do or to or or people your sense of self right or or or, or even if your spouse is doing it better hmm. you know or, hmm. or people you know females are doing it better what does that do to you hmm. you know and and when you're in school and you're behind in brain development mm. and you see females doing it better than you, uh, mm. you know, or anybody doing it better than you, it, it, you know, it's like, oh, shoot. Mm. <laughs> mm -hmm. Mm. Yeah. Uh, I, yeah. You know, fear of the future, fear of change um, can, can just paralyze yeah civilization to the point where like it, well it's it, then not able to deal with change and it happens not even <laughs> you know? on the civilization level it happens on the personal level yeah. because what happens is we have children and the children are actual sort of manifestations of the future hmm. we dearly care about their future on hmm. a daily basis on a monthly that we we look ahead a week a month a year hmm. 10 years you know, for them specifically, mm. and and our awareness of the future is so pervasive mm. that that we we cling to what we have and have fear of what we don't know that could hurt them. Mm -hmm. And um, this brings us back to men. Mm. You know what what do men do? You know to protect their children, but to serve them. Mm. You know, at the same time, you know, that's that's very hard. It's like what it says on the side of the police car to mm. protect and serve. Well, cops can't do that both mm. at the same time sometimes. Mm. You know, uh, it, it's it's uh, you know, it makes it makes you want to preserve and stay mm. and hold. It, it, it's very difficult for men I think in particular, you know, there's so much value in tradition. There's so much tradition can be so stabilizing. Tradition can be so comforting and, and give your, give you a sense of kind of, uh, mm. you know, your bearings and, and how to make sense of things, obviously. But I, I just think that, um, if, if fatherhood and parenting boils down to, like you were saying earlier, the serve and protect that, that, that part of that involves, okay, well, in what, 
situation, in what context, in what world, you know, like, um, and if you acknowledge that, then you have to be flexible. <laughs> yeah. So. Yeah. Well, Andrew Morgan, thank you for being on the show today. Thanks so much. It's, it's great talking with you. And thank you for listening to Father Figures. I also want to thank Jason Shaw of Audionautics.com for the music. And if you have any questions or comments, please drop me a line at RadioRanchero at gmail.com. Until next time, keep in mind that the days may be long, but the years are short. Bye-bye.